So, um, like I was saying, um, this week, you know, one of the things that's really come out of our class is this idea of soil, right? In that um, fruit, when you have fruit trees, you know, fruit is just a nat natural byproduct of taking care of the soil. And that if you make sure your soil's good, you don't, you know, take all the nutrients out of it, you take care of it, then your fruit trees are going to be fruitful. It's just going to happen. It's not like something you actively do. And so when you think in the spiritual sense, right, you know, it's not, oh, I really need to focus on being kind or gentle or faithful, but it's focusing on taking care of your soil, and then these fruit of the Spirit are the natural byproduct that are going to come. Um, so um, this, this week, um, I have two spiritual directors with us, um, and we're just going to explore some spiritual disciplines to help cultivate that soil and take care of you, um, your spiritual life, so that those fruits naturally, naturally bloom. Uh, so starting out, if y'all would like to introduce yourself and just say whatever relevant facts you think you'd like to share. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, even if they're irrelevant facts, we'd love, we'd love to hear them. Oh, I'm, I'm Paige Pope, I'm a spiritual director. Um, work with a nonprofit called Wellsprings in the Wilderness um, and grew up Church of Christ, uh, went to Freed Hardman, so I've got that, um, and then found, spiritual disciplines found, uh, the contemplative life uh, probably about 12 years ago and uh, have just been frolicking in that ever since. <laughs> just like, oh, this is so life-giving, I wish I'd found it uh, much earlier. Um, I'm from I did education for a while. I was a teacher, principal, all that kind of stuff before I went into this. And so I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be here. I'm Jim Frost. Uh, I am a psychotherapist and a spiritual director. Um, and I, too, was raised in Church of Christ. <clears throat> we covered a lot of this before you got away <laughs> from the Church of Christ. And, Went like 20 years without setting foot in the Church of Christ and uh, then discovered Otter Creek and decided that something had been going on while I was away. You know? <laughs> and this is this was like a breath of fresh air uh, for me. Uh, I, uh, in terms of discovering this sort of thing, I went for my first retreat at the Abbey Gethsemane in February of 2001, 2001 so 21 years ago. And uh, I went out of curiosity. I didn't have any idea what to expect. I was there about 15 minutes sitting in a courtyard in front of the monastery and suddenly was aware that this is something that had been missing in my life. Uh, it was like a drunk's first drink. I mean, I just, I mean, and, and I am the sort of person that uh, I'm very slow to action. I meditate and ponder and, you know, took me five years to ask my wife to marry me, um, <laughs> even though I knew she was the one. Uh, and, and I had been, I had felt called to that for at least five years before I actually made the trip. And I'm sitting here going, God, why did I wait so long? Why did you let me wait so long? I mean, uh, but that it was immediately life-changing for me. And, uh, and I will say permanently life-changing. So uh, I, I I live very differently. Mm -hmm. Part of what I what I plan to say, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I guess we'll get into a different form here in a little bit. But 
Well, when you when you emailed me and asked me to do this, I really had to think long and hard whether I you know belonged here or not. I mean, on the one hand, I mean I am a big believer in spiritual disciplines and in both my therapy and my spiritual direction practice. I'm constantly encouraging people to try this kind of stuff, and I am I would be dishonest to say that I'm a disciplined person. Uh, I feel like I'm one of the most disciplined pe undisciplined people out there. But the stuff that I do. Uh, like practicing solitude and quiet and stillness, it's just, it's something I love. I was just given an appetite for it. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't, you know, to me, discipline is like going out and doing jumping jacks or something <laughs> like that. You know, getting hot and sweaty. And, mm -hmm. you know, to once I learned to just be still and to be tuned into the presence of God, that was like life-giving. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, you know, I... I kind of told myself I was going to give that disclaimer that I talk about spiritual disciplines, but I'm not a spiritual discipline person. You'd be surprised how many people I reach out to would be like, patience? What? Me? Or, you know, gentleness? Me? I guess I can do it, you know. And so it's definitely much easier, I think, to see the fruits in other people's than to necessarily see, see those things in yourself. Um, so you kind of talked about that first moment, you know. So kind of in the early parts of y'all's practice of kind of discovering this new way of experiencing the Christian faith, what were some of the, fo the first practices that you engaged in that were really powerful and really helped kind of ground you? I, I think silence and solitude, and I kind mm -hmm. of stumbled into it. It was a silent retreat. Um, and then I remember Tim asking me, he's like, can you not talk for four days? Like, is that really going to happen? <laughs> and I was like, I think I can. I think I can. And it was really beautiful because it kind of took off that, um, you know, when you meet people and you feel the need to, like, be polite and talk and, you know, have those conversations. And so taking that off the table and everybody being present so you're not alone, but not having conversation and just being able to listen to God, that was life-changing and uh, in such a good way. And it was... I think when you talk about soil, you know, in farming we have to let fields lay fallow mm -hmm. or they lose all of their, their nutrients and so they have to have a season of rest. And that may be, when I was thinking about this, it was like I think that may be the biggest thing we don't do in our culture is rest. Mm -hmm. You know, of really having, um, even when we rest, we don't rest. Mm -hmm. You know, we're on our phones or we're doing something else, but there's not like that quieting and that, that, um, that rest that replenishes our soul and our spirit and who we are and and the, and I think you know too that's one of the scary things I was talking to somebody the other day that they're like I like to be busy and then when it gets quiet I feel this sadness come up and I was like that's really honest of I think that's what a lot of people stay busy is so they don't have to feel the feelings that come up you know when they're quiet but then letting those come up and then hearing from God in that is just really sweet. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, during that first retreat uh, at Gethsemane, um, again, I was just, this, the silence and the stillness just grabbed me. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gethsemane is a place for me where the presence of God is palpable. Um, and uh, long story, but I'm a diabetic and this was my first retreat. I didn't know a lot about how, I mean, I knew that meals were set on a schedule. Sometimes I need to eat between meals to avoid low blood sugars. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, a day into that retreat, I drove into Bardstown, which is a little town, 10 minutes away. And I went into like a little 
Piggly Wiggly or someplace to just pick up some things to have in my room. And I walked in, it's music, and I went, ah! <laughs> and it just, it was jolting. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I grabbed what I wanted and I left. And I, I mean, I'd driven up there without, you know, my radio off and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, ran back to that silence. Um, and I thought about how much noise is just part of our culture. Uh, and then <clears throat> I came home and discovered that the woman I'd been married to for 20 years uh, likes to have televisions on, you know, <laughs> in every room in the house or the radio or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, this is going to be a challenge to figure out how to create some of that mm -hmm. space in my life. Um, my wife will, will tell me, she says, I can always tell when you've been in my car because you've turned my radio off. Yes. <laughs> um, and, but, so fortunately, uh, I mean, I, so part of what changed, uh, that was part of your question, prior to that retreat, I was the guy that would hit snooze on the alarm five times so I could stay in bed to the last possible minute and then, you know, have a near coronary trying to get to work. <laughs> um, and from that very first day that I came back, I just woke up early and I would get up and go off and have prayer and just spend an hour just being with God, just quiet, and just loved it. And I haven't used the alarm clock in 21 years. I mean, wow. I just wake up and that morning time is my favorite time of day. Mm -hmm. And it's my time to be quiet. My wife likes to sleep in when she can. And um, she also likes to, she will, she will retire earlier than I do, and so then I stay up and I also have some quiet time. Sort of my days are kind of bookended mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I love to do, is, I, I think this sounds silly, uh, but I just love to sit and watch trees. Mm -hmm. just, you know. And the, being in nature and just sitting here staring at trees reminds me that God is in charge of the world and does a pretty good job. Uh, I've got to fortunately live in a house with a lot of mature trees and uh, I mean I've got this tree that might be a hundred years old and I, you know, I just look at it and I go it's just there it just you know and a tree doesn't do anything it just is mm -hmm. um, and so trees are very uh, inspiring for me and I know and that probably sounds really weird but no I, I totally get that I love like laying on my back and just watching the tips of the branches kind of sway back and forth. I can watch the, the, the branches or the leaves up at the top and mm -hmm. see them sort of move with the wind and then follow the tree down to the trunk which is just solid and unmoving. Mm -hmm. uh, Thomas Merton said uh, a tree glorifies God just by being a tree because it's yeah. not being anything other than what God called it to be. Mm -hmm. If I just uh, yeah, there's, there's a great book, The Secret Life of Trees. Have you have you read this? I don't believe I have. Um, it's amazing because they're actually doing a lot of things. You know, <laughs> they communicate through their roots and the, mm -hmm. the light or not lichen, but algae or what is it? Some kind of fungi. fungi. Yeah, between roots of different tree systems. So communicate if one tree is being attacked by a pest, they'll communicate that amongst the other trees and they'll shore up their you know whatever chemicals and. and they support each other, you know, a, a grove of trees when there's high winds will support another tree that's bending to keep it from going too, you know. So there's a lot going on with trees. But. Uh, somebody was telling me not long ago, and I, I, they took a trip maybe to Costa Rica or somewhere, I don't know, some somewhere I've never been. 
but they have this uh, they, these things called walking trees and they are the, the tree trunk is like here and then it's just standing on roots that look like legs and if the soil over here begins to sort of lose some of its nutrients the tree will grow more roots over there and then these roots will fall away and the tree literally moves <laughs> toward where the nutrients are. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So if you Google walking trees, you, you could read about it. I've done that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So these practices of silence and solitude, what, what fruits have you seen in your own life and maybe in the lives of other people you've worked with who you've recommended, hey, you should... Try, try to shut up sometimes. No, but you should try to experience silence and solitude. What of these, you know, nine fruits of the Spirit that Paul, have you seen in your own life or in the lives of other, those kind of fruits? Calmness for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so um, during that first retreat, uh, and I was really struggling with prayer at that time, and uh, they, had a, they have a priest on duty in the afternoon that's like a chaplain. You can go talk to the priest. And so I thought, well, I'll give that a try. And so I go in and I sit in front of this like 80-something-year-old man, and I said, I have a terrible prayer life. I don't know what to say to God. I'm intimidated when I try to talk to God. And he said, don't worry about it. He let me get about that much. Out. He said, don't worry about it. Don't, want, don't worry about what you've got to say to God. He said, just take 10 minutes a day and just sit and be aware that God is in you. And I smiled and I nodded politely, but inside I'm going, okay, buddy, you're not getting it. You know, because I'm looking for the five-point plan, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, he went on and said some things. He talked about how, you know, praying is like throwing seeds. You don't expect to see something happen immediately, but you keep faithfully throwing the seeds. And I'm nodding, and, and inside I'm like, I'm seething. I'm like really, really, you know, really sorry that I came and talked to you because this was so hard <laughs> to confess, and you're acting like it's nothing. Um, fortunately... Uh, I went back to my room and I laid a later journal about it and journaling is another discipline that's really, really good. Uh, but between the journaling and something I was reading and a, and a tape lecture I was listening to, all of a sudden I got it. And I realized that my problem with prayer was me. You know, That I can't make prayer happen, I can just let prayer happen. And so I started with my clients encouraging them to set aside 15 minutes a day just to sit in silence and solitude and just be open to whatever you experience. I mean, and I would kind of intentionally leave God out of it most of the time. Sometimes uh, I, I would have, sometimes we'd eventually talk about how even people who pray very regularly, it's usually a one-way thing. You know, it's God, God couldn't get in a word edgewise without being rude and interrupting you. And... Um, so I just encourage people to just sit and be still for 15 minutes a day. And uh, people have had literally life-changing experiences uh, through just, and I think of it as I'm just trying to get people to be still, pull their spiritual antenna out a bit, and tune in. And when people do that, things happen. I mean, I kind of joke, God does the heavy lifting, I just collect checks, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and kind of jumping off of that, too, of um, there's quotes whenever I show back from a creative Jesuit retreat center, and they have all over the place, silence is the first language of God. And it's that whole piece of, I think I originally thought that meant God just doesn't talk. 
which is not true. You know, in silence, uh, when I came back that first time, I was like, I was so loud and did all, you know, said all the things I needed to hear him say in different ways of like feelings, experiences. Um, really sweet at the time because I, I, I didn't think that God spoke to us in those ways. And so I brought like eight books and the same verses came up in every book. And so God just met me right where I was. Of, of this is this is how you can hear me. This is how I'm going to meet you. Mm-hmm. It's very sweet. And so I think it switches. I even I kind of balk a little bit at the word discipline because I that I always has a lot of the words. yeah yeah because <laughs> that has such a negative connotation for me. And it's really more just like um, if we ima- if we imagine and it's true that God is Jesus is always with us. You know God says I'm always with you, mm-hmm. and that the Holy Spirit indwells our bodies, so that God is always in us. Um, that God is always there and God is always loving us and what what silence and solitude and even like um, centering prayer or like sitting for 20 minutes a day in silence and just listening for God all that does is change our awareness and our attention of what we're focusing on and what we attend to and that's where all the fruit comes from you know of knowing yourself as dearly dearly loved by God and then noticing how God loves you and is with you throughout every day those are the things that are transformative mm-hmm. you know if when you know yourself is fully loved then you can love other people without attachment or without control and so that's where when you look at the fruits of the spirit mm-hmm. of how that comes through so it's not it's not like a I'm not training because I used to have that image too of like I'm training to run a marathon and so this is the spiritual practice scripture 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 that I'm doing you know to to get ready for this event, instead it's more of a just noticing all the love that is around me and those little things that God just leaves for you and does, you know, does in every day of in nature. And um, there's a, a sweet practice called examine, and I hated it. Like my whole first year of spiritual direction training, I would come. Dr. Miller was my uh, teacher, and I would just rant about it for like hours of like this is so stupid because what you're supposed to do is at the beginning of every day is to sit and think back over your previous day and notice where you experienced God and where you didn't experience God and what that turned for me was like focusing on all the things I did wrong the day before and it was horrible and that's not examined by the way and uh, (laughs) we call that spiritually cutting it's like no you don't do that Um, but then it got flipped for me when it was I started thinking back over there were some other questions of like in whose face did I see God or experience God today um, and what moment am I most grateful for? And then going back into that moment and imagining, you know, how, how was God in that moment with me? And then what moment am I least grateful for? And then going back into that horrible moment and then welcoming all the feelings, like welcome shame, welcome anxiety, welcome sadness, welcome, you know, just all my awkwardness and whatever I did in that moment. And then experience God looking at me and loving me in that moment. And that was transformative. Mm-hmm. Of like just that complete um, just that washing of love like every day of noticing all of those little things and we just miss them you know when we're just speeding through our day and and uh, I grew up on quiet time you know if like you had to have your quiet time in the morning and this is how it was prescribed and and that's not bad like I think that's good uh, what was so life-giving to me was learning that there are other ways of having quiet time other than just reading scripture not that reading scripture is bad mm-hmm. and there's even different ways of reading scripture that bring life into that um, and even thinking through now I try to think through like three circles a friend of mine um, Holly Allen told me about this of like we have the being 
doing and knowing circles. And a lot of times, like especially in Churches of Christ, we grew up with a huge knowing circle <laughs> and a huge doing circle in a non-existent being circle, you know, and so trying to get those circles to kind of balance out and even thinking through that in your practices of like um, invitationally, because God is so invitational of what is God inviting you into or where there are some spaces that may be making some time here or um, just resting. There's a spiritual practice I read about the other day that I recommended for my husband. <laughs> it's uh, driving below the speed limit, mm. like intentionally going slowly, and it's stoplights, uh, you know, like praying some breath prayers, which are just, you know, little little phrases of scripture of like, Lord, I trust you, and, and just having that even when you drive as a spiritual practice to, you know, just be more present even mm -hmm in that time when you're usually rushing and angry and, you know, sitting in traffic. And I'm the worst, so I really, I recommend it for him, but I probably need it much, much more. <laughs> I've started driving 60 on the interstate, uh -huh. A, because gas is so expensive. <laughs> and it's, but it's just, it's so nice. Like you just get in the right lane, just go, everyone's whizzing past you yep. and you're just chugging along. It's. Well, part of that was like praying for everybody that goes past. That's kind of like, you, oh, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I was like, I want to uh, kind of go off of, you yeah. were talking about God is always present. Yeah. What's missing is our awareness of that presence. Yes. And one of the things that I really try to do in my life and encourage all of my clients is to just, you know, cultivate this awareness of God's presence. So, uh, and this is a bit of the theology nerd in me, but I learned a long time ago that there's a Hebrew word, ruach, which means wind, breath, or spirit. It could mean any three of those depending upon the context. And the Greek word in the New Testament is pneuma, which means wind, breath, or spirit. It could mean any of those depending upon context. And uh, 25, 30 years ago in a previous job, one of the things I did was lead middle school age boys on wilderness backpacking trips. And so I'm out there sweating and tired and you know I've got a 50 pound pack on my back and we're climbing a mountain and all of a sudden this breeze would come through mm -hmm. and I would you know and I would just kind of instinctively instinctively go thank you God for that breeze that cools me down and then I began to think about how wind breath and spirit and I and and so I just kind of intentionally every time I feel a breeze mm -hmm. I or or if I see the, the wind with the trees mm -hmm. I mean I instinctively kind of that's a sign of God's presence. And uh, I was telling Paige earlier, I've been out mulching my yard. We've been doing a lot of landscaping. I try to get out early in the morning before it gets hot. And time and time again, just in this last four or five days, there's been a lot of those nice breezes that just come over me. And I will just say, thank you, God, for the assurance of your presence mm -hmm. um, and for cooling me down, you know. Yeah. So Jim mentioned prayer. Paige mentioned scripture. So I wonder if there's anything you would like to add about prayer, kind of that he brought up or add on to, and same to you with scripture. Mm. Well, and I love how Jim said that earlier, of like, you know, that prayer is so different than how we were taught. You know, <clears throat> um, God garden direct. You know, I can do all the things that talking at. They call that like the first level of prayer is like talking at God, and then. Um, listening for God and then you know that that's a different shift and so um, 
it's different from how we were brought up that we were, at least I was, it may not be how y'all were brought up at all, but um, you just list all of your, kind of your to-do list with God, and, and it's just much more relational, of like knowing that the Holy Spirit is within you, and I love how you said antennas, because I had somebody talk about one time that God, um, that you'll, you will sense and feel in your spirit different things. Um, there's a discernment tool we use that if it increases faith, hope, and love, then it's from God. If it doesn't, then it's not from God. And so um, kind of being able to discern what you're feeling or what you're experiencing as being from God. Um, and that prayer of listening for God in silence, um, even in Scripture, of there's a, a different way of reading Scripture where you read it very, very slowly. At Lectio Divina, and you'll maybe read the same two verses four or five times and just notice what sparkles for you. And so if there's like a word or a phrase that sparkles, so just going back and then asking God, what do you have for me in that? And then and then different things will come and letting those come and letting God meet you in that space of, of a way of speaking through those, kind of getting into your scripture thing a little bit too. Um, but prayer just being more expansive than, mm-hmm. than this one directional um, kind of Santa Claus view of like, okay, God, this is what I want. <laughs> um, it's much more of this relationship of what I've learned is that God is very um, very invitational and very relational I think I was raised that God had a path for me and boy I better find that path and then you know there's this one thing and then it's really hard to interpret God of like okay what am I supposed to do here God and what I found is like God's very invitational and there may be some things he's inviting us into but we can always say no and and he is very open to you know your desires like those deep desires that we have within ourselves those are a really good um, guidepost for for how god is moving and what god has for us and a lot of times we're taught to not pay attention to what we want or what our deep desires are because they're bad we, we have the idea that we were formed against god when god made us formed in his image and so um Noticing those deep desires and then how they interact with um, with God and with love and letting yourself be loved. I think that was very foreign to me. There's a, a piece of prayer we start out with that is um, sitting in the long and loving gaze of God and just imagining, you know, sitting in God's long and loving gaze and being loved and adored for how we are. I think I felt like I always had to do all the right things and oh, there's these yucky things I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing, and I've got to get that straight before I can come in the presence of God. That's not it at all. Like, mm-hmm. he, he loves us exactly where we are, and um, that movement and that acceptance. And so prayer looks very different just from a practical standpoint of how, of how I was raised on that. And there's some yeah. real practical pieces to that, too, we can talk through if mm-hmm. we want to later. But. Yeah, and one, one thing I want to add is also this idea of, like, corporate prayer. Mm. And um, I, there's a church I attend in Sunday evenings, and it's very liturgical. And so everything is based off of the Book of Common Prayer. And so it's interesting looking back on the past three years and seeing how much the weekly kind of reciting of these same things has shaped my own spiritual life and has shaped my faith. Saints. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I ended up going to Episcopal Eucharist services. Mm-hmm. I don't know, starting about 12 or 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came through, and part of this is through going to this monastery so much and getting, really exploring Catholicism. I came to deeply believe in 
what Catholics talk about the real presence of the risen Christ in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And I've told all my Church of Christ minister friends, I've had all the crackers and grape juice I need. You know, I need the presence of the real Christ. Uh, Catholics do not, most Catholic priests will not want you to participate if you're not a Catholic in good grace. Uh, but Episcopalians have an open table, so I started going to the Episcopalians and, and falling in love with the liturgical mm -hmm. service. Um, I want to talk about Scripture a little bit. Yeah. Um, scripture is another thing that was intimidating to me lots of years ago. And I got unsolicited. Uh, I started getting this little daily Bible reading plan uh, that the Navigator sent me in 1996. I didn't ask for it. They never charged me for it. I figured God wanted me to have it. Cause it, just, <laughs> it just started showing up unsolicitly once a month. I'd get this little pamphlet. And it would direct you on each day, you know, what to read. And you were going to read through the Bible in a year. And so I just kind of started doing that. And that's probably the closest thing to study as a discipline because I, it, it was a chore to get through the Bible in a year. Um, but it, it was also fascinating, and I went back, and, and then I started reading through it again and again and again and taking notes at my own pace. Um, more recently, uh, in the more, I mean, I've read through it several times. I think it's important to get the story, to understand the narrative. But more recently, I've just been just reading the Gospels over and over and over and over, mm -hmm. over again, focusing on this character, Jesus. Uh, my... First, my spiritual director that I finished working with recently, who was Jesuit trained, told me at the end of our first session, she said something to the effect that there's no Jesus in you. And I went, what are you talking about? But I also kind of knew, I mean, because see, for me, God, I projected onto God all these experiences of my father, you know, who was uh, a guy who could have a bad day and smite thee in his wrath, you know. Uh, and so God, for me, was, you know, kind of this intimidating character. And mm -hmm. I began to just sort of praying to Jesus and then studying Jesus in the Gospels. And I found Jesus to be, for me, a much more relatable figure. Um, and that's been life-changing, too. I mean, I, I will just tell you that, you know, spoiler alert, God is way more compassionate than you've ever given <laughs> credit for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And kind of to combine the two, a practice that I've started is praying the Psalms. Uh -huh. um, I, there's a prayer labyrinth at Scarrett Bennett Center in Midtown. You know, where like yeah. the Mellow Mushroom is in Midtown, yeah. kind of by Vanderbilt right there. Um, and they, they never check the meters for street parking there, too. <laughs> but I've got to practice, around, you know, maybe once or twice a month when I'd be leaving class at Vanderbilt, I'd just kind of stop. And as I would walk the labyrinth, every like step I would say a syllable of Psalms 23 and just go through that over and over and over and it's just interesting like you said the calming practice of that yeah. and how it's oh I'm so stressed I've got this going on and this and I'm trying to juggle these three jobs and just that that practice of um, just kind of meditating on the scripture but doing it bodily yeah. and it's not just like up here but it's in your footsteps and it's in you walking through this labyrinth. I don't know how much time we have, but I, I bought this book that I wanted minutes. to kind of recommend. Uh, and I think you and I are both alike in that the word discipline has all these nasty <laughs> connotations. Yeah. Um, this is called The Monastic Heart, 50 Simple Practices. I like the word practice much better. Uh, for a contemplative and fulfilling life. Joan Chittister is a Benedictine nun who has lived as a Benedictine for 60, 65 years. I mean, yeah. 
since she was a teenager. Uh, she's one of my favorite writers. Uh, I think I mentioned all I read is Catholic, so Catholic. <laughs> um, but there, there are 50 short chapters, and, and there are things in here, uh, and, and this is important. Uh, I don't know what you think of when you think of spiritual disciplines, but joy, rest, appreciating beauty. I mean, um, all of this stuff, you know, I mean, 50 things, and there are 50 ways to just, uh, they're transformative practices if you if you focus on them. And I this is my favorite book I read last year. Awesome. The Monastic Heart. So yeah, let's kind of open it up. Um, if there's... I brought a, a couple too. So uh, yeah, you, if you want to plug those, go ahead. Yeah, well, and I'm not plugging anything. It's kind of like a, just a good, you know, if you're looking for different kinds of practices. I think Adele Calhoun has a good one. And it's good because you can look it up by kind of what you're wanting to do. And then she lists different practices that are, are really fun. I used this even when I was teaching middle school girls. They loved it. You know, just some different mm -hmm. sweet things that just kind of open you up to the power and the presence of God. And then this one, I know this is a weird one. Um, I would never have picked this on my own. Uh, it's called Glittering Vices. Um, but it's, it says a new look at the seven deadly sins and their remedies. And what's cool about this is that it's just showing us, it, it kind of takes away the shame and guilt. I think a lot of times we have our own sin and shows it for what it is. So these are just things that uh, block us from living the good life, that, mm -hmm. from, being, from flourishing. And it's like if you're kind of tangled up in this, then here are some ways to kind of some disciplines and practices that will kind of help untangle you from that and so that you can live more free. And so I've, I just found it to be a really beautiful book. And even how she defines each one is really good and healthy. I think I have a lot of baggage around sin and shame because that was so much of what I was brought up around in fear. And this kind of untangles that. And it's just so practical, you know, from just like a, a life standpoint. I, I tend toward workaholism. And so I was very certain that sloth would not be mine. And sloth is completely mine. Interesting. And so, yeah. And so it's that... It's that um, Working but not being, and so um, and it was really sweet. Some of the practice has just been really helpful. You talked about using that with, with teaching, and yeah. I was reminded uh, a good friend of mine who used to be a member here, um, and this is this goes back to when Otter Creek was at the old building, um, and he was teaching high school boys, uh, and my friend is one of the most powerful people in the music business in Nashville. Uh, mover and a shaker, type A personality, but who uh, had a cardiac event 25, 30 years ago and had to become contemplative, had to become, had to slow down. And so he's teaching these high school boys and, and at that this particular day, it was a winter day and there were snow flurries and he just had them put their chairs up against the window and he said, find a snowflake and just follow it till it hits the ground and then come up and find another one. And he's telling me like, 20 years later, he's getting emails from these boys talking about how that, how much that class meant to them. Uh, I, I think that, you know, some of this stuff, if you just taste it, if you just get started with it, you'll find that you have an appetite for it. Yeah. So let's open it up to questions. If any of y'all have any questions for... Paige and Jim. I'm curious. So yeah. you said you're also a psychotherapist. Um, I, I, I knew you would ask. Yeah. <laughs> so I am getting my master's in clinical mental health counseling right now. So Are you at Lipscomb? I am. So you know my friend Dr. Terry Casey? I do. Yeah. 
Yes. Jake Morris. Yes. Morris. Yeah. All of those. All of those very wonderful people. Yeah. Um, and so I'm curious, kind of, what is it like being a spiritual director and being a psychotherapist? And I guess holding holding these like practices in a space with a client, um, particularly like if you have clients who aren't spiritual or religious, what is that? Been like for you? Well, let me let me kind of preface it by saying, you know, I'm old and I got trained in the 70s, and we weren't supposed to talk about religion. Okay. You know, and and I worked, I, I kind of say for the first 20 years of my career, I was a therapist and I was a Christian, but I didn't see that one had anything to do with the other. Mm. Um, and I worked in a community mental health center where, again, we're just not supposed to talk right. about this stuff. But in the early 90s, I was asked to take over. Uh, the alcohol and drug counseling program temporarily they were between coordinators and I discovered that I actually liked that and uh, and so I've got people in 12-step recovery they're coming in talking about their higher power right. and I'm going whoa we're leaving somebody out of the room here what's going on and and so and I still actively work with recovering people along with lots of other things uh, but that gave me the 12 steps of AA gave me a framework for how to integrate that um, and then, you know, what happened was over time, I just got tired of doing what I call symptom reduction, you know, making yes. your panic attacks less intense, less depressed. And so I came to Agape because I wanted to be able to openly practice from a Christian standpoint. I didn't know what that was going to mean, but, uh, but I was able to develop my own style. Um, I am, I'll tell this story, I'll try to tell it quickly. Um, so it was this particular guy that I worked with who, I, I mean, he had on his information sheet that he belonged to a particular church. And so I said, tell me about your relationship with God. He said, what do you mean? I said, you know your relationship with God. He said, I, I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. I said, well, God is a person, you're a person, you can have a personal relationship. He said, I've never heard anybody talk like this before. And so I asked him to, I said, Set aside 15 minutes a day, sit in silence and solitude, be open to whatever you experience. So he comes back the next week and he says, I tell you what I do, I just wait till everybody leaves the office at the end of the day and I sit there for 30 minutes. It's relaxing, I like it. I said, okay, keep it up. Mm -hmm. uh, we're working on depression and anxiety, you know, and about two months later he says, I'm still doing that thing where I'm just sitting. I find myself wanting to speak. And I said, so speak. <laughs> we worked on depression and anxiety for another couple of months. And then he said, you know, my wife and I have been talking. We're not really happy with our church. And I said, I think we're going to go to another church. I said, okay with me. <laughs> Two months later, we're completing our treatment. Uh, and he says, this is why I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, you got to understand, I never did a Bible study, I never talked mm -hmm. about God again, I just asked him to be still. Uh, and God drew him in once he got still and quiet. Mm -hmm. um, and he, you know, he told me at the end, he says, I have a faith that I would not have had had I not done this. So, uh, a lot of it for me, is, I mean, I don't, I'm just trying to get people to be still. And, and I don't care... Uh, even people who don't necessarily come, some of my favorite clients are those who don't know what they're going to get with me. You know, um, but even those that don't necessarily come with a particularly religious bent, and we're in the buckle of the Bible Belt, so 80% of my clients do. Right. Um, 
but I'm just trying to get people to be still and quiet and pull out, pull out those antenna. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, and, and that is a lot of what spiritual direction about is about. It's not about fixing anything. It's simply about helping the person become more aware of the presence of God and more open to respond to that. That's really helpful just to think about, like, it's not about saying something. It's just about, like, inviting these practices in. Um, yeah, Paige talked yeah. about how God is very invitational, and that's, uh, I think that's super important. And, you know, for much of my life, you know, if I felt God was calling me to do something, he was trying to take something away from me, you know. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, you know, God's trying to give me something. <laughs> He's not trying to take anything away from me. Yeah. But I have to let go of what I'm clinging to in yeah. order to receive what He wants yeah. to give me. Yeah. Well, thank you all so much for uh, sharing your wisdom and experiences with us. Um, like I said, next week will be our conclusion class where we'll be talking, about, we'll get some gardeners in here to talk about how the fruits in their garden are doing and just talk about kind of how we've seen the fruits in the past six months as we've gone through this study, what we've experienced, what we've seen in others, what we've seen in ourselves. And that will end our series. So y'all have a great rest of your Sunday.